listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. We are talking on this subject, how to talk to people about God. Uh, We introduced it last week, so tonight would be part two. And our subject tonight, remember, we are going to take a human emotion and we're going to present it. And then we're going to look at the biblical approach to that human experience. And then we're going to end up with how to talk to people uh, about God who express that uh, to you. We really must take our job of being a spokesperson for God. We must take it seriously. Uh, We should study. (laughs) We should learn. We should grow. Uh, You are, you have an ambassadorial role with God and with your world. And so we're going to be reading some from the book of Ecclesiastes. If you'd like to get your Bibles and uh, get Ecclesiastes open, we'll read first at chapter number two. Uh, Before we do that, I just want to say again, we're getting ready to start our First Steps class back up. Look for the signups on that. They are usually at the front, or you can contact us at the church Email pastor to firstchurchclt.com and one of our pastoral team will get in touch with you. All right, let's get started. Uh, oh, real quick, uh, I know you're jealous of my shirt. I know I felt it through the, the media system and I want you to know that's natural, it's normal. You can actually see how cool the back of it is. Um, so that's why I'm wearing this shirt so you can uh, feel that uh, you need a shirt as cool as mine. All right, how to talk to people about God. Uh, This is our statement of human emotion. I'm stuck and I hate it. How many times in your life have you had friends and even family members say some version of that to you? I'm stuck and I hate it. This is part of the human experience. Perhaps we should uh, take a moment and pause here and think about the different ways in which we can have that feeling where we feel stuck. Um, You might be in a career that you thought you would like, but it turns out you hate it and you feel stuck. Um, You might be in a relationship that either you or your partner or both of you together, most probably, um, are not investing in. And so the quality of that relationship has begun to deteriorate. And now what you feel is you're stuck and you hate it. Um, This frustration is almost the daily bread of people who are living with anxiety, uh, living with fear. And as a result, because it's so commonplace, there's a good chance that if you're sensitive to God, uh, you will come across someone in your life who in some manner expresses this emotion. I'm stuck and I hate it. Some version of that. So uh, does the Bible have anything to say about this? Uh, Is the Bible just about miracles and signs or is the Bible speak? Does the Bible speak to the ordinariness of our life? Not just the spiritual, but does it speak to uh, the life as we know it? Does it does it have counsel as you would receive from a wise man or woman, or is it just counsel you would receive from a spiritual man or woman? Uh, I want to remind you and reassure you that the Word of God is filled with wisdom, power strength, and good old simple good advice. Um, I, In fact, I, I almost could say that if you just look Old Testament, New Testament, <clears throat> there's probably 
just as much, if not more, advice that could be taking, taken as wisdom for your life um, as there is the kind of scriptures that we think of as power and glory and, and, and the like. So much of the Word of God is speaking directly to the frustrations, uh, to the anxieties, to the fears of, of our life. So let's read um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to read at verse number 22 of chapter number 2. And I want to answer this question. Does the Bible have anything to say about this feeling of frustration, uh, this feeling of being stuck? I think the Bible has almost given you a whole book, <laughs> and that would be the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's read. What? I'm reading the NIV, you reading in whatever version you have open on your lap or open on your kitchen table. Uh, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? What are they getting for all this strain and strife and laboring and struggle? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. And the wise man says, this too is meaningless, meaninglessness or meaningless. Um, so I should remind you again, the word of God is speaking to your daily bread, not just a spiritual insight. It's speaking to your lived experience. Uh, and when you talk to people and they're living with the sense of being stuck and hating or disliking their life and they can't seem to make any progress and they can't seem to get any traction, I want you to know the Word of God speaks directly to that. But you have to go to the Word of the Lord with an open heart. You have to have ears that hear. You have to have eyes that see. You see, you can go to the Word of God uh, as duty or obligation and just, you know, kind of reflect on your chapters and that's the end of it. But that's fairly rare. More commonly, people don't go to the Word of God. They think their frustration is part of their responsibility and they're partly right. They think anxiety is part of, you know, their, uh, it's, it's in their wheelhouse and they're partly right. You see, you are part flesh, as you know, but you're not all flesh. You are also spirit, and so you're partly right. You should work harder at taking care of you, yes, but you're not all flesh. You should work harder at organizing your mind, yes, organizing your life, yes, but you're not all flesh. There's also uh, the component of you that we call soul. Um, we, we have to seek um, longer-lasting solutions for the soul than we do just for uh, our mind uh, and, and the like. So frustration is real. Uh, the wise person will go to the word of the Lord with ears that hear, eyes that see, and they will see what the eternal speaks to their temporal. And when uh, that is heard, when the truth of eternity filters down into their lived experience, they start to live differently. They start to think differently. They start to see things with different eyes. It's almost as though their perspective has changed. And it's less, oh my, that's terrible. And it's more, oh my, didn't expect that. We'll see what comes from it. It's much more a life of a good portion is surrendered to God. You're not just 
You're not just leaping to frustration. You're not just leaping to irritation. You're not just leaping to accusation. There's this, there's this sense of, of trust where we'll see what God can do with that. Uh, so let's confess frustration, that sense of being stuck, that sense of hating our life as we currently are experiencing it. That is a very human ex- experience. And, um, it's real. We, we, we can't rush past that. It is entirely unhelpful. It is categorically unhelpful simply to rebuke someone who feels that and tell them they should be ashamed of themselves. Um, they're not an automaton who just needs better programming. They're working through something. They're wrestling with something. Uh, some plan they had, some vision they had, some idea they had for themselves is being <laughs> troubled by reality. And in that friction, there's this discontent. So you can't just tell people they should be ashamed of themselves. You can tell yourself you should be ashamed of yourself <laughs> and you should be quick to do so whenever you perceive that you are acting in a shameful way. But we cannot simply have that terminology in that style with others. Um, so we go to the word of the Lord, we find this book that is just almost like a whole book is written to this human emotion of frustration, to fu- of futility, of being stuck, of what does it all mean? Almost a whole book. And we learn there of spiritual truths and the eternal can speak to our temporal's, temporal nature there in that book. Um, Ecclesiastes reiterates over and over that our straining, our striving, The efforts of our flesh always end in frustration and always end in futility because peace, contentment comes through the hand of God. Now, this is one of the lessons of um, the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, So let's read, uh, let's see, we read it verse 22 and 23. Let's now read 24 uh, through 26. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. Okay, this is, as it were, not a person given a lecture to spiritual students. This is a person giving lecture to carnal students. Stay with it. So this too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? In other words, Yes, there is a life better than yours. Yes, there's a good life, good friends, good food. Yes, but don't think that is your accomplishment. Even that is the gift of God in your life. Even if you just rate your life by surface things, the pleasures, the food, the friendships, all that, even that is the gift of God in your life. Who could even enjoy that without God? So, Stay with it. All right. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. There's a lot to unpack right here. The point I believe he is making in his his style of poetic philosophy Uh, The point basically is this, is even if you win life's lottery, you don't know how to enjoy it. And if the person who pursues God does let their lives be given the contentment God can give, 
Even if they never have what you have, they have what you were always searching, which is peace and contentment. The best way to read this is not materialistically. In other words, the person who is unhappy works and works and works and then finds somebody who's happy and gives them their money. I think that is, that is, that is, I mean, if you want to read it that way, you can, but I don't think that's the way it's meant. It's not meant materialistically. It's meant what has value and what are they actually seeking for? The person, the sinner is thinking this things of this world satisfy and they search and they work and they store, but it, it's never giving them what they want. The person who never had those things, but if they had peace and contentment, they were, they already had what the sinner was looking for. What is Solomon talking about? Well, I think a fair way to say it is like this. Uh, Solomon's talking about peace with God. You see, without peace with God, um, without a sense of being in his hand, and being held by God, your money will give you nothing that you think it will. Um, the pleasures of your life, the pleasures even of sin, of a life of excess, a life of all those things, they're, they're, they're not what you really are looking for. They're just what you're doing in a type of futile searching, which time will reveal to you or suffering will reveal to you. And so Solomon is talking about peace with God. Um, is he's one of the richest men in the world at this time. He's still seeking peace with God. Uh, he has more of excess, a life of excess, um, than anyone. Uh, probably very few people alive have more than him at this particular time. He's still seeking peace with God. Even today, when we talk to people, if they trust us a little bit, uh, they open up and confess the anxiety that's within them and they don't know what they're looking for, but as people of faith, we know they're looking for some version of peace with God. So uh, let me read First Peter, if you would turn there, First Peter chapter number five. Um, the solution to anxiety. Now, I'm talking as a person of faith now. The, per, the, the solution to anxiety is to not try to gain control but is to learn how to live with surrender. Um, I believe, whether you are a person of faith or you're eh, not so much, um, I think you have to learn this lesson. Now, once you learn it, you'll use different language than a preacher would use. Uh, you, you'll use different language than you know, uh, a believer would use. You, you might sound up in, in, end up sounding like a life coach. But what you're saying is some version of the same thing we're talking about. Um, the person who seeks control is constantly reminded of their lack of control. But the person who uh, understands the, 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 the necessity of surrender now has the opportunity to focus on something else. Uh, I'll explain. When you were focusing on control, it took all your effort and you could never gain it anyway. But if you can begin to have a sense of surrender you now have the ability to focus on something else. As long as you're focused on control, you'll never see what else there is. So uh, I will describe it this way. You cannot stop the sea that beats against the land. You can stand on the edge of the sea and you can try to use your psychic powers to stop the waves. But the waves are entirely unimpressed with your psychic powers, and they keep coming in. You can spend your whole life trying to 
like, so there's legends that come out of the East, um, Eastern philosophies of, you know, Kung Fu practitioners, Buddhist monks in mist shrouded Kung Fu temples. And they have these secret powers and you can't even believe what they can do. And there are, <clears throat> there are uh, reasonably, reasonable histories that you, uh, there's reason to believe of uh, monks who spent their whole life in these isolated places and they would, <clears throat> they would, they believed in the ability to kill with a touch. And so the way they would train is they would start by focusing and then they would spend their life trying to ring a bell at a distance because that was the first step. But the, the, the goal and the myth was there were masters who could kill with a touch. Okay. Um, I hope that works out for you. Um, it certainly didn't work out very well for them. Um, it did not stop any of the empires around them from flowing over them. And it did not, not one war, not it. So let's just place that in the realm of myth. You can stand at the side of the sea and practice trying to stop the waves, or you can learn how to surf. What's the difference in the person who's trying to stop the waves and the person who's trying to learn how to surf? One of them acknowledges the reality of the wave. The other one is trying to use some way, some power, something to stop that wave. Now, what the surfer does is he or she wants to learn how to ride the wave. He or she does not believe they can stop the waves. And so they want to get better at riding them. Now, this is a natural example of a person who is trying to, they've surrendered to the power of the wave and now they're adapting to it. Um, I think there is, now, again, uh, unbelievers use different language. Uh, they sound like life coaches. Um, we as believers believe that undergirding this world is the hand of God. We believe all things are held by the word of his power. And so when we surrender we're not saying there is no control. We're saying God's in control. And if God has placed me here in this moment, and these waves are my reality, I need to learn how to surf. Because my ability to handle the ups and downs of my life will be converted into my testimony. Do you see? And so this is a person who has given up on a sense of control they're surrendering that, that God is in control, and now they are learning how to deal with the waves in their life. And the person who successfully learns how to ride those waves is a much calmer person. Their soul is <laughs> much better cared for than the person who stands at the seashore and yells and curses the waves. And how could there be waves? And how, if God was good, he wouldn't have any waves. And uh, if God loved me, there wouldn't be any wave. You understand? You see what I'm saying? Surrender uh, is important, uh, whether or not you're a believer or not. Now, if you're a believer, the best thing you can do is surrender to God and believe that undergirding all of this is the promise of eternal life. So even if I am crushed by a wave, I'm going to be with Christ. That is the, 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 the fundamental uh, difference, philosophical, shall we say, difference uh, of the believer. I am going to deal with everything that comes. And when I can't deal anymore, I graduate uh, to uh, a better place. I return to the one who uh, created me. So I turn, I had you turn to first Peter chapter number five, verse number six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Notice the verb here, cast, that's active. Um, you, 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 
turning things over to God is an active choice in our life. And that's why it gets an active image. Uh, imagine someone that is just literally throwing things um, uh, out of a ship in a storm. They're <laughs> casting their cares upon the Lord. Uh, they're just they're they're unloading the ship of their life. I, I I don't have control of this. I'm giving it to God. I'm going to do my best with it. But when I can't do any more, I'm just going to believe that we'll see how it happens. I'm going to trust God. If it crushes me. I will be with God. So this is a very different way of living. And the result of this is it tames anxiety. Imagine anxiety as a beast. You tamed that anxiety. And so uh, let me read uh, Psalms 37. And if you would turn there, we're going to read it, verse number three. Um, it takes effort to cast our cares upon the Lord. That's why it's an active image. You have to identify it. You have to pick it up. You have to consider it. And then you have to decide, that's not going in my raft. <laughs> you identify it. You pick it up. <laughs> you decide, I can't deal with this. I'm giving this to God. You cast it overboard. This active decision, it's, it's important. Now we're in Psalms 37, verse number three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. So you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Uh, we could continue, but you, you get the idea. This, this, I'm giving to God what is God's. I don't control the waves in my life. I do want to surf them. I want to manage them as well as possible. Um, I don't want to be destroyed by them. And so that's the Bible study. Can we agree that the Bible has a lot of things that would help someone going through anxiety if they would allow it to, if they would allow the word of God to speak to them? The word of the Lord has a lot to say to help them. I just grabbed three verses at random, literally right before I came on this video. Um, I, I, there's so much, but you cannot see if you're blind spiritually. You cannot hear if you're deaf spiritually. Um, growing in uh, spiritual wisdom is the ability to hear and to see. Um, because these promises are what we build on. Not, not, not experiences, not feelings, not emotions. We build on these promises because our emotions are, you know, <laughs> they're waves. We've got to learn how to ride them. Um, so the Bible has a lot to say. Now, let's imagine we had to talk to someone who they're either a non-believer or they are unchurched which um, to me, an unchurched person is someone who is practically living as though uh, they're an unbeliever uh, because they have forsaken the body of Christ. Um, I, I don't mean that in a salvational way. I'll let God handle the salvation side of stuff as all preachers should do everywhere. Um, but I, I, I feel like they've, they've rejected God's plan for them by rejecting a local, an imperfect, flawed local assembly to which they humble themselves and discipline themselves to be a part of and then help others. You see, this is God's plan for you. God built the church for you, for I. Um, and yes, the church is imperfect, and you won't like everyone there. That's no excuse. You see, God developed this for 
you, I'm sure the house of Israel didn't love everything about being a child of Abraham. That wasn't, okay, let's move along. You get the idea. So if we're talking to someone, first of all, if they've expressed to us deep frustration in their life and they've said some version of I'm stuck and I hate it, um, first of all, we should understand that they're trusting us. They're trusting us. We have to be worthy of that trust. We have to secondly understand they probably aren't yet ready to make a big change toward God. Now, I'm not speaking doubt when I say that. This is what I've learned the hard way. People usually turn to God in brokenness, not anger. Now, you can try to bang them over the head in their anger, but I promise you, you will get an angry response. Do you see? Um, So, In brokenness, they normally turn to God, not in anger. And what they've just given you is anger. They're stuck and they hate it. They're stuck and they're mad about it. Their career's failing. You still are called to be a minister and you're called to be able to manifest the kingdom of God, to represent the heart of God to this person who is frustrated and they're stuck. You know, and I know, the word of God could help them. You know, I know, that the scripture has a lot to say if only they weren't blind. If only they could humble themselves. The Bible has a lot to say to them. But at the moment, they're angry. So what two things, the good is they've trusted you. They're opening up to you. Be worthy of that trust. The bad, they're probably not ready for a big change of life. Why? They're angry. Change normally comes out of brokenness, not out of anger. The exception to that is when you're angry with yourself. Um, Once you quit blaming others, you may very much be ready for change. But as long as you're looking outward for the reasons why you're stuck, in my experience, you're probably not ready for change. However, as people of faith, we're called to talk to these people. So remember, uh, I, I gave you uh, four things last week. I didn't have a handy way to remember them last week. So this week, I've been thinking about a handy way to remember uh, those four things I gave you. So I come up with the four L's, okay? Hopefully, this will help. The four L's. Number one, listen. I mean, really listen. I mean, don't be polite until you get your chance to steal the microphone. Really listen. Part of that is give up your need to be right. Listen. That's number one. Number two, use their language. That's the second L. I don't mean if they're cussing, you cuss. Don't destroy your witness. I mean, they're, they're a certain... They're, so just like Paul did uh, when he was talking, um, he, he knew what they cared about. He knew what their philosopher said. He used their language. Um, so you talk to uh, carpenters in a certain way. I spent years in construction. I know how construction people talk, and it's normally a whole lot of cussing. But (laughs) you can relate to them. Um, You talk to people who love sports, and you use sports examples. You talk to people who love cooking about cooking, and you use cooking examples. Do you see? So, number one, listen. Really listen. Give up your need to be right. Okay? Just listen. Uh, Number two, use uh, use their language. Uh, Try to relate to them in their context. Number three... Look for where God is working. That's the third L. Look for where God is working. You don't have to announce to that person. In fact, please don't announce to that person. You can see where God's working. But I promise you, you need to see it because your faith will begin to rise. If you cannot see where God is working, people's needs will exhaust you. 
and you'll just want to get out of the out of the context, out of the situation because it's exhausting. You cannot see how God is working in in their life. Uh, number four. This is the fourth L. Leave them with a promise. So listen. Use their language. Look for what God is doing, and finally leave them with a promise. All right. So that's my four L's that I think. Uh, as we work through these subjects, um, we're always going to revert back um, to these four L's. Um, in this situation, the first thing we would know is the good, they trusted us. The second thing we'd know is they're angry, so they're probably not ready for life change. That's the bad, all right? However, we can still listen and listen and build trust. We can build trust. Frustration and anger isn't the place where people usually reach for God. <laughs> Frustration and anger isn't usually where they reach for a bottle. <laughs> it's usually where they reach for their favorite cuss word. You see what I'm saying? But you can build trust. God has placed that person in your life and you're carrying them. Just like, uh, forgive the analogy, but just like a, a mother would carry um, uh, a baby to full term, <laughs> you're carrying them to full term. And so you're listening. And you need to think, I'm in the listening stage of this, of this relationship right now. Um, the second thing you should know is frustration, uh, when it's expressed by the other person, can be part of the way you build trust. You see, they think they know church people. And they've met a lot of church people, and they've probably led a, uh, met a lot of the wrong kind of church people. Um, they think they know church people, um, and they know their church people. But this frustration phase is such a great time for you to build trust. You don't want to just be a church people. <laughs> you want to be a certain kind of church person. You want to be a certain kind of, of uh, ambassador for, for Christ. All right, let's get to uh, number three. Frustration in a person you are ministering to is an invitation for you to witness to them by your action and by your testimonies, not by your opinions and not by your lectures. Remember, they're not ready. Do you see? We've admitted, we, we've, we, we, trying to have eyes to see. People don't usually make big life changes out of anger and frustration. I mean, I wish they did. Think how much better the world would be, but they don't, okay? So where does that kind of change? That change normally comes through some version of brokenness. And it's the broken heart that's ready for God. Um, and so you're carrying this person to full term. You're not just, you know, uh, just gonna... Uh, as it were, minister to them once and then move on. At least, not if you're wise, not if you are, if you have the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so, in this frustration and anger phase, there's two ways you can witness, and there's two ways you can uh, show them a better way. Neither of them have to do with your opinions or your advice. Here's the first way, your actions. So, if they're going through a frustrating time and you're going through a frustrating time, you might bond with them over something you're frustrated about, but you can't have the same reaction they did. You have to begin to show them the right reaction, which will be for you some version of this. Remember, we're surrendering. We're not trying to control. We're surrendering. 
I've just got to turn that over to God and I have got to see it as something that good can come out of. And I've got to pass this test um, because I think there's something good that can come out on the other side of it. Um, I don't even know if it's a test per se, but even if it isn't or is, it will help me if I think about doing who do I want to be, how do I want to live. That is you showing them, not you telling them. And the second one is testimony. It's not your opinion. It's not your, remember, they're not ready yet. There'll be a time. Um, the second one is your testimony. Not what you think they ought to do, but what God has actually done for you. So you have a testimony and you tell them of something and then you just tell them how God brought you through. You don't tell them they need to get right, straighten up, quit living with crazy people. You, you understand what I'm saying? You're not giving them a lecture and you're not giving them an opinion and you're not dumping your, your philosophy all over them, you see. You, you, are, you are giving them good advice through action and story. Action and story, and it's your story. It's your testimony, okay? If even if they're not ready, they'll receive that. Even if they're in the anger phase, they'll receive that. And trust will even get stronger at that point. Number four, oh, I already gave number four. Um, share your testimony, not your personal opinion. So I'm repeating myself, but that's what us preachers do. Uh, it's very real for people to feel trapped by life, to have deep frustration, and to feel stuck. I'll take it deeper than that. Some of you guys who are watching this, um, you're church people, uh, and you're feeling deep frustration, and you're feeling stuck. And you know, and I know, you should be handling it better than you are. And you're losing an opportunity to have witness because you're handling it in a certain way. You haven't taken it to God. You haven't surrendered it. You haven't followed the biblical wisdom that is given to you. So let me end with a challenge to you. How well are you doing with frustration and anxiety in your life? How well are you handling it? If you're not, you need to go to the word of the Lord. You need to consider the profound truth that is in this book. And you need to do it. You need to follow it. You need to humble yourself. You need to repent. You need to get right. And then your decision becomes part of a testimony. So when you meet the unbeliever and you meet the unchurched, you're not just full of opinions and lectures and philosophies. You're able to listen, really, really listen. You're able to use their language. You're able to relate to, uh, to them. That's, that's number two. Number three, you're able to look for what God is doing because you have been able to see what he's doing in your life and you've seen how you surrender to it. And finally, you're able to leave them with a promise. God's brought me through. I believe God's going to bring you through. All right, that's enough. Lord Jesus, I pray you would make us wise. I pray you would help us. We want to talk to people about God and we want to do it without running them off. We want to do it without them perceiving some uh, judgmentalism within us. We don't want their primary response to be, oh, there's someone who thinks they're better than me or there goes the Pharisee. No, Lord, we want to minister. We want to, we want to reflect uh, your heart to this generation. Be with your people, give us your wisdom. I pray for the person who is a believer, but they're not doing well with anxiety and frustration. Uh, they're handling it the same way an unbeliever would handle it. Forgive them, Lord, correct them, Lord, and let them build testimony in their lives that they might manifest that testimony to the people they meet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
We love you. We'll see you Sunday. It's going to be a great weekend. Church is getting better and better. More people are coming back. We're still taking care, still being appropriate. We still have separation. You can sit with your family if you just make a little effort. Uh, most people are wearing masks. Um, and so I, I, we're doing everything we can. You can argue over what works, what doesn't work. That's, that's for you. We're doing everything we can for everybody. So uh, we love you. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.